everyone, and welcome to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Condé Nast Traveller. I'm Lale Arikoglu, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Meredith Carey. Hello. Spring is here in full force, which means warmer temperatures and longer days are hopefully just around the corner. To talk about taking advantage of the coming sunny days, we're joined by Emily Pennington, a Women Who Travel contributor and Outsides National Park columnist, and Megan Spirell, Traveller's senior editor, to talk all things outdoors, from how we can get our bodies moving now that winter's come to a close, to the summer adventures we're most looking forward to. Thanks for both joining us. Better to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So the outdoors has served an important purpose throughout the pandemic, helping us get outside safely and decompress when things have been tough. And now that we're returning to kind of a sense of normalcy, why do you think that being in nature and continuing that dedication to being outside is going to remain so important to everyone's well-being? So, yeah, I feel like even though the pandemic often feels like it's quote unquote over or things are are opening up, which they are um, logistically. I think that we lack the privilege of hindsight that comes from having gone through a major generational trauma. And I think that one of the key things that the outdoors has shown us during the pandemic is the immense power of the outdoors to I mean, not only keep us fit and healthy and in the sunshine, but also to quite literally decrease the levels of anxiety and depression that the pandemic itself has caused. And so I think my guess is that in the next two or three years, we're going to look back at this time period as a as a deep transition time period in which we're really learning how to re-socialize ourselves and how to be in the world again. And the world might not be the same world that it was before. In fact, it probably won't be. And I think that creating these safe outdoor spaces where you can feel strong and you can have solitude and you can move your body and get some of those good endorphins flowing are exactly what we're going to need to make it through this transition period with good mental health. I think for me, part of it is that I've always loved the outdoors, but I think I do a lot of different kinds of travel. And the beauty of having spent more time in national parks or camping over the past couple of years is that I remembered why I love it so much and that I want to prioritize it with the travel I plan. And I also think friends of mine that I hadn't had the chance to do that with in the past also realized that was something they were into and that they want to do more camping trips or prioritize national parks and trips we do throughout the year. So I think for me, it just was a an underscoring of how those are such nice spaces to be in. And even friends of mine who didn't consider themselves like outdoorsy people before have found how they can enjoy that too. So I think, you know, we all, we all came to appreciate these spaces. And so even as travel changes, um, I'll be going to them. And Emily, to your point, like the pandemic isn't over and feels like every time I have a big trip booked, you know, that involves planes and hotels that have been paid for. I've realize how a little COVID scare could just throw everything off. And that makes me continue to see the outdoors as such like an easy type of trip where, you know, I can book a campsite for 30 bucks. If I end up not being able to make it, it's not a big deal. The risk feels less for getting exposed, you know, when I have other trips coming up after. So, you know, those benefits haven't gone away. Megan, I really like what you said about it being a place for you to spend time with friends who maybe didn't consider themselves outdoorsy beforehand. And, you know, it became 
just simply being outside became such a key part to socializing in the, you know, the throes of the pandemic. But I think for me, something that's been really nice is I've sort of discovered all these new ways to socialize and to spend time with my friends that isn't just limited to, I'd say, the few spaces I was doing it before, which was mostly someone's house or a restaurant or a bar. Case in point is me and Megan going surfing together last summer, which I think if the pandemic hadn't happened, we 100% wouldn't have gone to the Rockaway surfing and discovered our love of love of the sport. It's our whole personalities now. It really is. Speaking of impactful outdoor experiences, because I know surfing was that for both of you last year. At least for me, I think of the winter as a sort of like hibernation period. I'm not someone who skis. For the most part, I have lived in quite warm climates, so haven't had to deal with much snow. So when I think about winter now, I think about staying in, staying cozy, not really spending a ton of time outside. But I'd love to know, I know, Emily, you are a year-round outdoors person. What have been some particularly meaningful outdoor experiences you have all had recently, be them cold or not cold? Well, I feel really fortunate because I do ski. My mom retired early just outside of South Lake Tahoe in Northern California slash Nevada. So that's been such a godsend the last few years because I have that touch point in the winter to know that I'm going to get to go outdoors and do something a bit athletic. But I know we wanted to talk about spring a little bit and what, what we're kind of starting to head into now. And I think one of the cool things about living in Southern California, where I live, is that the shoulder seasons of spring and fall are actually some of the best times to be hiking and also training for these like summer trips that you're maybe really excited about. I feel like I was not outdoors as much as I wanted to be, even though I am typically a year-round outdoors person this winter. And as the the climate has warmed a bit um, near where I live in the foothills outside Los Angeles, we're starting to get some really amazing wildflowers. And I know Joshua Tree, which is the closest national park to Los Angeles, they have a March and April bloom. So a lot of a lot of um, kind of less traditional desert parks can be really amazing to visit in the spring. And a lot of lower elevation, even though they're not my favorite, a lot of lower elevation foothill hikes are just now starting to get their spring flowers popping up. And it it's making them really beautiful and really accessible training hikes for people who maybe are going on a big national park road trip later or who know that they want to do their first backpacking trip this summer. Yeah, I mean, off the back of surfing last summer, I rediscovered my love of snowboarding this winter and even dragged Meredith upstate to go to a ski town. And I think that was really exciting for me to to get back into snow sports was really rewarding and just really fun. Again, it was such a social thing. But I did spend a lot of the winter to use a word that I love wintering, which is just like hunkering down at home. And I think in winter, I always think that I'm going to plan these great spring trips because I think I'll have all this time at home. I'll be indoors more. But the reality is that I get really sluggish. I don't want to do that. Spring is kind of my time to look ahead at summer when I know I'm going to want to be outdoors all the time. I'm going to want to soak up every bit of sun. And spring is my time to think about how I want to spend the summer. Is it more surfing? Like, okay, when am I going to actually start? How can I block off weekends where I go do that? What are the outdoors experiences that I want, you know, from June through August? And that's kind of 
how I spend winter and, and spring is really looking ahead and getting that planning going so that when summer comes and I'm never home, I, I actually have trips set up even into the fall that I'm looking forward to. So that's kind of been my my spring travel approach. Yeah, just to echo that, for the last, I want to say, two months, I feel like I have been such a permit hoarder. I've been <laughs> going on recreation.gov every other morning at 7 a.m., just hoping to get these backpacking or national park camping site permits <laughs> so that I so that I have stuff to do, like Megan said, in July and August, and hopefully September if wildfire season isn't too crazy this year. Wait, Emily, I want your battle plan for <laughs> getting these permits. Like, I know you're saying you're waking up every morning, but on the ones that are really, I mean, I know that most of them are very competitive, but I'm thinking about Yosemite permits and plenty of hike permits. Like, what is your plan to get the ones that you want other than being relentless in the mornings? There are a few tricks that I've employed in the last couple of years, especially now that they're even more hot ticket items. I would say... For parks like Yosemite and Sequoia even, the campsites are going to book up right away, especially if you're only looking at weekend dates in the summer. If you're willing to be a little brazen and go on your first backpacking trip, even if it's just a couple of miles in, not only are you going to get much more of a solitude-filled experience that maybe is what you came to the National Park for in the first place, it's also going to be a lot easier oftentimes to get a backpacking permit versus a car camping permit. So training for and being open to new activities or asking a friend who's more experienced, maybe who can take you, that's a great way to actually get a permit for a harder to get park like Yosemite in the middle of the summer. Um, I'm a big Eastern Sierras person. So when I say I'm waking up at 7 a.m. and trying to get backpacking permits, I'm talking about things more like North Fork of Big Pine Creek or anything in the Ansel Adams Wilderness, anything near Mammoth Lakes, California. There's been a big influx in the backpacking scene. And so shockingly, even some of these permits that, you know, you think of, oh, only hardcore outdoors people are doing them. You really do have to get online and book them five or six months out. And it is bananas right now. I also think that with things opening up a bit after the pandemic, bigger trails like the John Muir Trail, which I hiked last year, are even harder to get. Um, entry and exit permits for. A lot of people will try to hike over a pass and only do a section hike of the trail. So I've noticed those trailheads have been a little crazy. So honestly, I would really just say be really on top of when you want to go, especially if you can only go for a weekend. The six month out or however many months out that park is, is really key. And research in advance, is it 7 a.m.? Is it 8 a.m.? What is the time zone? If you can, it's like getting Burning Man tickets, I swear. It's like <laughs> you have to have multiple people on multiple browsers. And I still don't know how I got a Glacier National Park permit two years ago. It was wild. <laughs> um, another great tip is obviously just being willing to go not on a weekend and being relentless about checking for cancellations if you miss it, if you, if you aren't able to wake up because you have a work meeting or... I've slept in a couple of times and just had to to kind of suck it up and and wait to get a permit a bit later. But I have gotten two cancellations so far this year, so it is possible. I've also realized even just with getting a camping spot at like a state park in upstate New York, 
the prime spots, they fill up in advance. And I think you also have to be ready to just, if you look on, on a site, you see a spot you want, you book it before talking to anyone. Because usually there's like, in a lot of state parks and, and national parks, I found their cancellation fee is you lose a $7 service fee. I see it as a donation to a park. It's not a big deal, but you can just like book these things. And also if you end up canceling, someone will definitely take it. But that's been my approach is just when there's somewhere I want to go. If I see a spot, I claim it. I don't care if it's in eight months. I deal with it later. And like, that's how I've ended up going to places that a lot of people want to camp at. I feel like even just in the space of 15 minutes, we've covered so many different types of outdoors experiences, surfing, obviously, <laughs> snowboarding, <laughs> hiking, backpacking. And obviously there's just like a sort of a whole host of different ways that you can experience the outdoors. But what do you think those experiences can provide that other travel experiences can't? Well, I was just going to say, I've noticed one word in particular that's come up a lot already in this podcast recording is friends and socializing. And it was making me think about how one thing that I really love so much about outdoor recreation is how social it is. I mean, of course, team sports are a bit social, but not in the same way. If you're going on a hike with someone or especially a backpacking trip, you are talking to that person for eight or 10 hours for that entire day. Similarly with camp, even car camping or rock climbing or bouldering, one of the things people love so much about those activities is that you're kind of hanging out, you're kind of in this beautiful location and you just get to you just get to talk to your friends about random stuff that maybe wouldn't even come up in the city and I feel like it almost has this unilaterally bonding quality because you're so far removed from ordinary city life problems um, that things can get very silly and goofy and also very real very quickly. And I love that about the outdoors. It's honestly why I plan trips like that is when I think, okay, this is someone I haven't caught up with enough or I just want a good chunk of quality time with. I mean, last year I you know, as Meredith Lolly can speak to, I planned a camping trip for my birthday because I just thought, what is a way that I can have a ton of people I love right around me for an extended period of time? I don't want them for two hours at a bar. I want them for a weekend. And I'm very lucky to have friends who are willing to do that, including some of the aforementioned non-outdoorsy people. It's just quality time you don't get any other way. And I definitely feel lucky to have people who are down to do that. But I also think something that I, I mean... At this point, it's drink every time we say surfing, but something that I got from surfing <laughs> that has that has kind of, I'm realizing is a theme in my outdoor pursuits um, in the past couple of years is my 30s have so far been marked by like surging interest in hobbies and developing things that are just play. They are just for fun, but also make me feel really like capable of something I didn't know how to do a year ago. So surfing was that. It felt amazing to just this thing I'd always watched other people do and thought was cool and looked fun to just go out and figure out how to do it. But that's such a feeling that I think I'm personally craving. I want to feel like my extracurricular activities are also feeding me in this way of of like skill building and and getting to surf or even go back to snowboarding has done that. And like rock climbing is next on my list. And it's because I want to know that I'm able to do this thing that I admire when other people have it as a hobby. I think something that kind of Emily mentioned earlier, where 
If you're someone who traditionally car camps, but you can't get a car camping permit, maybe consider backpacking. You know, I think even people who spend a lot of time outdoors are always pushed out of their comfort zone in some way. So putting yourself out there in the first place already gets you halfway there to trying something new, being faced with a new problem, overcoming something with a friend, like finding a new connection with someone. I think that when you are in a city or you're on maybe like a beach trip, you're not necessarily doing, you might be experiencing new things, seeing new things, but it's all going to be in some sense familiar. Like a coffee shop is a coffee shop, even if they sell different pastries. And so putting yourself out in the outdoors, even if it's a trail you've done before, you're going to come across something new and different and a new problem to solve. And I think that challenge is really exciting to me as someone who watched Lale and Megan do a lot of surfing. It was it was just as fun to be there watching them experience this this new thing as I'm sure it was for them to surf. Well, Lale, to, talk to more about surfing. <laughs> well, to clarify, I can basically only get, I can barely stand. I'm very bad. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's not like I became a surfer last summer. But for me, another thing that was really rewarding and important about doing outdoors experiences and kind of embracing them in a way that I hadn't before and which for me was you know surfing the rockaways riding my bike and going for a lot more hikes in national parks than I ever had done before was that to me speaks to my own like dependency on technology but it is the only time in my life where I am not looking at my phone or feeling an urge to look at my phone or to document something with my phone in some way, which with every other travel experience you are, even if that in itself can be can be fun. But when you're doing something in the outdoors, if you look at your phone, you might hurt yourself. Like you have to be focused on the activity, even if it's just hiking and it's putting one foot in front of the other. Like you have to be focused on moving your body and the place that you're in and your surroundings. And that to me was really important, especially after sort of, you know, being in lockdown and emerging from lockdowns and being, having been, our whole worlds were suddenly around screens. And for me, that was quite damaging to my mental health. And it just felt so good to be thrown around in the ocean and not be able to look at a screen. And that's something I really want to hold with me. And I think is why I want to just keep doing things in the outdoors in a way that I hadn't considered before. Well, and and something that I also was thinking about is the challenge that everyone has with these different outdoors activities is totally different, right? So one person can get so much out of doing their first small half-day hike in a state park, or for someone else that's getting tossed around the ocean. And obviously, when we talk about accessibility in the outdoors, there are so many different types of challenges. Like a lot of time it, there's there's different barriers you have to overcome in just getting somewhere. Or there's the mental challenges of doing something that you just didn't think you could do before. And I think that's what can be so rewarding about the outdoors is that, you know, for one person, their Everest is the, the multi-day backpacking trip. And for someone else, it's just like going to a, the beach, which is a place that they've been uncomfortable before because they prefer the pool. And so I'm trying to go into it being like everyone has their different levels of comfort and interest, but we're all getting similar things, whether it's being social or pushing ourselves. When I was traveling to all the national parks in 2020, one of my guides in Alaska said something that I found really profound, which was that 
there's something really primal and empowering about not being in control of the situation or the climate or the weather or our own comfort or experience in in that space. I think that we so often are in these climate controlled rooms that have Wi-Fi, that have chairs that are ergonomically designed for our bodies. And that's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. But I think that Lale and Megan both touched on something, which is that it's really empowering to watch yourself struggle in a new way and see yourself come out alive and perhaps even stronger on the other side of it. And I mean, post-pandemic, I feel like that's maybe what we all need a little more of. Looking ahead to the spring and the summer and beyond, what's your advice for planning an outdoorsy experience over the coming months? Uh, waking up at 7am to get the permits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think, you know, we talked about earlier, figuring out what you want to do with the summer and kind of plotting it out before the summer is here and you just want to run out of your house and feel the sunshine on your skin. So I think figuring out what you want in the summer. Is it that you want to learn a new skill? Is it that you want to go somewhere you've that's always been on your list? I think it's kind of thinking about that now while there's still, at least in New York, like it's still a little rainy to do some of these things. And just being on top of your planning for summer and into fall. So whether that's booking campsites or um, making a list of beaches you want to go to, signing up for those rock climbing classes or buying a pair of roller skates, it's just kind of laying that groundwork now. That's kind of how I'm thinking about it is just being on top of my stuff this month so that next month I can start having fun. Yeah. And just to add on to that, yeah, I think especially if you know you're going to be going on some big hikes or going to a bunch of parks, um, getting on top of if you're going to do some sort of training regimen, especially knowing if you're going to do a backpacking trip or something that's a little bit more involved. I'm a big fan of the book Training for the New Alpinism, which is a little intense, but it's basically just training for uphill athletes. It's targeted training for people who know they're going to be hiking up and down a lot of hills, especially with weight on. And there are a wide variety of training plans within that book. Some of them are for people who are literally climbing Everest. And some of them are for people like me who are just bumming around in the mountains with a 40-pound pack on. And and I'd also like to say not to, I mean, not to plug like Condé Nast and outside too much, but there are a wealth of articles that people can be looking at now to plan ahead, especially since, as we've mentioned, you do often for better or worse, have to plan out five or six months in advance, especially if you want a weekend permit for something. So having in mind now, via some of these great these great articles and these great guides on Condé Nast, there are a lot of a lot of suggestions for really wonderful, less crowded national parks or I know Megan and I are about to put out one that's some of the best kind of beginner and moderate overnight trails that are not too high mileage in the national parks. Um, I put out one a couple of years ago on the best wheelchair accessible trails for Outside Magazine. So there's really a wealth of opportunities regardless of skill or ability level. There's just a, there's such a variety of activities in the outdoors that literally anyone, whether it be a new mom with a stroller or, you know, someone who's never been to a national park before, they can still go out and they can still enjoy and they can still get some of the mental health benefits and the just sheer joy of 
being in, the na- in these natural places. And when I got to interview Secretary Holland, the sec- new Secretary of the Interior, who is the first Native American woman to serve in a cabinet position, so exciting. Um, she spoke to me at length about how one of the Biden administration's big priorities is increasing accessibility in the outdoors. So she has a special focus on urban parks and making sure that people who live in big cities don't live, you know, a two hour drive from a green space. She wants people to be able to access them via public transit or a much shorter drive so that they can receive a lot of the same benefits that many of us who maybe have cars, who have a little more spare income or free time have been enjoying. And that is such a big privilege. And so I'm really excited to see what the administration has in store coming up because I know that they're in talks. They're in talks to increase a lot of racial equity and accessibility in the outdoors. Which are both things that like I'm sure we can all agree there's a lot of work to do. So that's really exciting to hear. You know, I think what you were talking about, Emily, about how there there are so many guides and resources online that people can use to help them plan is so true. And I also think that there's something to be said about you know, people on social media sharing themselves in the outdoors, which I think gives people the opportunity to see themselves or a version of themselves in the outdoors and know that they can participate too or get some inspiration. I'd love to know who in the outdoor space you are both following right now uh, that you think our readers should be sure to follow so that they can get that same level of inspiration and ideas from. Yeah, I mean, I recently interviewed four women who travel, Leah Thomas, who just put out a book called The Intersectional Environmentalist. It's hard not to talk about the outdoors without thinking about your environmental impact and of travel in general and how we can move through the world, whether they're outdoor spaces or cities, in ways that are more considerate of the natural environment. And so I think she's great to follow on social media. I mean, definitely get her book, which is just out intersectional environmentalist. And I think she's someone I look to just to try and figure out what it means to try your hardest to be eco-friendly and also give yourself some grace that you can't do everything perfectly, but you should still try. Someone else who shares a lot of great women that I look to is uh, Patagonia, who is always sharing different outdoors people. And that's actually how I found Leah Thomas. So I think finding those accounts where you can get names of a lot of different people and kind of tap into this community of outdoorsy people is great. Awesome. I was going to say just to add to that. So this is a little bit more of a niche one, but I'm such an Eastern Sierra mountains addict that I would be remiss if I didn't mention Agnes Vianzen and the Eastern Sierra Conservation Corps. Agnes leads a really incredible trail crew that is typically all female and or female identifying. I think every now and then they'll have a guy or two, but it's very focused on women of color, um, women from diverse urban backgrounds who maybe have never worked in a national park before. And I'm not sure if they're still hiring. I know they just did their big trail crew hiring push for this summer. So if anyone's ever wanted to kind of say screw it to the city for three months and just go live in the backcountry and make trails in beautiful places, that's what she does. She runs a nonprofit that organizes that. I know they also organize 
youth trips for Native American kids, as well as backpacking trips for women from big metropolises who have maybe never been backpacking before um, and where everything is sponsored. And those people get to go out and experience some of these more privileged places like we were talking about that are not as accessible to the average everyday human in a city. I also really like, it's not necessarily female specific, but they feature a lot of females. I love Unlikely Hikers. I am so consistently inspired by people who are not like the skinny, straight, cis, white male with a beard and a Patagonia jacket, you know, like trekking up a mountain. It's really amazing to see how all different ages and body sizes and, you know, shapes of people and are able to to do really incredible things with their bodies in the outdoors. So Unlikely Hikers is hugely inspiring to me for that reason. And then I've been really following this climber girl named Yeah April, and she shares so much. She has so much joy in her rock climbing photos and watching her go from being more of an intermediate climber to someone who is crushing these gnarly rock formations. <laughs> has been also really inspiring. She's from Los Angeles like me, and I believe she just moved outside of Las Vegas. So she is full on in her zone, crushing desert rock climbs now. And she's really inspiring to me as well. Amazing. Well, we will have links to the stories that Emily has mentioned, the accounts that both Megan and Emily have mentioned, and so much more in the show notes. So be sure to check them out. If people want to keep up with what you two are doing this summer, where can they find you on the internet? I'm pretty much everywhere online as Brazen Backpacker. And I have a book coming out later this year, hopefully called Feral about losing my mind in 2020 and going to every national park and living out of a minivan. Can't wait to read that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we will have to have you on when it comes out. And Megan, where can we where can we see what you're up to? I'm at Spirelli across the board. I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. And I'm at Lale Hannah. Be sure to follow Women Who Travel at Women Who Travel on Instagram and sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter. Links to both will also be in the show notes. Thank you both again so much for joining us and we'll talk to everyone else next week. Bye.